Greetings and salutations. Hello and welcome to this edition of Everyday Ignatian. We always begin each episode by reciting a prayer called the Angelus. If you are not familiar with the Angelus, that is okay, because I have included the link in the show notes. So if you haven't done so already, I invite you to go into those show notes and open up that link so that we can pray together. Thank you again for joining us and enjoy the episode. God bless you all. Nimone Patris, et Filii, et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Angelus Domini, nuntiavit Mariae, et concepit de Spiritus Sancto. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus Tecum. Benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Iesos. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in ora mortis nostrae. Amen. Ece Ancilla Domini, fiat mihi secundum verbum tuum. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus Tecum. Benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Iesos. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in ora mortis nostrae. Amen. Et verbum caro factum est, et habitavit in nobis. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus Tecum. Benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Iesos. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in ora mortis nostrae. Amen. Ora pro nobis sancta Dei genitrix, ut digni efficiamur promissionibus Christi. Oremus. Gratiam tuum quaesumus Domine, mentibus nostris infunde, ut qui angelo nuntiate Christi filii tui incarnationem cognovimus, per, passion, per passionem eus et crucem ad resurrectionis gloriam producamur, per iondum Christum Dominum nostrum. Amen. Cor Ieso, miserere nobis, omne sancti angelii, orate pro nobis, societas Ieso, orate pro nobis. Ieso, mitis et umilis corde, fac cor nostrum secundum cortum. Amen. In omne patris, et filii, et spiritus sancti. Amen. Hello, everyone. Um, usually I start off by saying happy Friday, right? Uh, but as I alluded to last week, uh, this episode's going to be a little bit different. Um, I'm going to begin by saying something openly and honestly, and I say this with the utmost respect to you and all my viewers and everyone involved in this horrible tragedy, but I really don't want to do this. <laughs> like, really, like, truly, I do not want to talk about this. This is not going to be fun for me. Um, reason being is, is twofold. First and most obviously, what is happening is a horrible tragedy. Uh, but number one. Number two, I don't, I'm not trained to do this. I'm not a journalist. I don't, I'm not a political commentator. That's not what we do here at EI. Um, that's, that's not who we are. At the same time, it'd be extraordinarily remiss of us if we did not acknowledge the elephant in the room, this horrible tragedy. Um, the state of Israel, the nation of Israel, is currently at war with a terrorist organization called Hamas. This organization, Hamas, this terrorist organization, um, invaded Israeli soil earlier this month. Um, 
Now, I believe it's on the 7th of October, if I remember correctly, but I could be mistaken. Um, and the objective of this terrorist organization is to seek, destroy, capture, kill every single Israeli citizen they can find. And it appears very specifically that they are targeting, unfortunately, Jews. Uh, which, of course, the vast majority of, is, of all of Israel is Jewish. So first and foremost, we must pray. Pray for, uh, for them. Pray to St. Michael the Archangel, the protector of Israel. Uh, pray, of course, to the great Jewish saints of our tradition. Pray to St. Edith Stein, uh, who died also at the hands of a horrible uh, war. Uh, and she died in Auschwitz. We'll talk more about her in a minute. Um, and of course, pray that this war may end swiftly and that the, those involved, the, um, the terrorists involved, may either be converted and see the error of their ways and repent. That's the ideal situation, right? Or if they choose not to repent, that they be unfortunately destroyed. I don't want to see anybody get killed, of course. Nobody does. But um, let us pray, of course, for their conversion, that they may see the error of their ways. And if they are dead set in their ways and they want to remain in sin, let us pray that this great evil uh, be eradicated once and forever. But I want to begin today with some kind of positive note before we get into it. This episode is going to be a little um, heady, um, but I want to begin with a really a story that really stopped me in my tracks for all the right reasons, and uh, hopefully this can inspire you as well. Uh, this was early, about, about last week. Um, I see this headline from Reuters News. It says this, quote, Jerusalem Catholic Patriarch offers to be exchanged for Gaza hostages, unquote. That is, again, from Reuters. Now, the Patriarch of Jerusalem, before we go any further, is effectively the, the bishop of the region, right? And he is a man by the name of His Eminence Pier Battista Pizzabella. Pizzabella. He is the Cardinal Patriarch of Jerusalem. And if His Eminence will pardon my language for a moment, and of course I say this as a compliment, but His Eminence has balls. Big brass balls. Offering himself up to terrorists uh, for the sake of his flock. That is not something you see every day. So if Your Eminence, if you are listening to this, or if you are engaging in this week's episode, um, thank you very much. Um, it's not every day, again, that we see bishops of the church, priests of the church, offer themselves up for the sake of their flock, let alone negotiate with terrorists saying, take me, uh, but you did. And frankly, we need more priests like you, and you're an inspiration. So thank you very much for your witness, and I pray, uh, God, that um, this war may end swiftly, and I will be, of course, praying for you. Um, now, at the same time, so I hope that, cheered you guys up a little bit, inspired you that there is still hope for the church and hope in this world. But at the same time, this war has also forced Christians, Muslims, Jews, atheists, everyone of every race and tongue to wrestle with really difficult questions. Questions about life and death and judgment and heaven and hell and all of these things, religion, all of these things. And unfortunately, again, this is what makes this episode so challenging for me. I do not have the training um, the, understand, the knowledge to answer those questions in depth. However, I will do my best to answer two of them in brief, two of these grappling matches in brief. Now, to be clear before I go any further, 
this is my best articulation of the truths of the church. If there is something inaccurate here, I should go without saying that I submit anything and everything I say or write to the judgment and correction of His Holiness Pope Francis and to his successors. Uh, nevertheless, I still want to provide answers because I know so many of you have questions. So the first question, the first grab I mentioned is the question of war. Should we go to war? Why is war a thing? And the answer I give is this. War is hell. And sometimes it's necessary. So before we begin and before we really articulate the um, the, the church's teachings of war, what we call just war, I want you to imagine kind of this hypothetical scenario. So let's say, hypothetically, you're in your house. Maybe you're alone, maybe your family's with you, doesn't matter, right? Let's say you're sitting down watching TV. When a criminal smashes your window, climbs inside your house, and threatens to kill you, here's the question. Do you, in that moment, have the right to defend yourself? Now, of course, anyone with any degree of common sense will say, yes, of course I have the right to defend myself. What, am I going to just let him shoot me? Exactly my point. We call this the right to self-preservation, right? This is one of the, the points of the natural law theory that our Thomas Aquinas articulates. Um, but really, just war begins at that point, the family level. If someone invades your home and threatens to kill you, you may have to use force to not let that happen, right? And so we extrapolate that to the to the nation, right? The same principle applies to countries, right? This was written extensively by St. Augustine of Hippo, the great theologian. Uh, and He was actually the inspiration for Aquinas, one of the greatest of all time. And Augustine argues that there are four requirements for just war. And for a war to be just, each of these four needs to be um, fulfilled. You can't, have, you can't just fulfill one or two. You have to fulfill all four. So what are they? To have a just war, you must first... Uh, the damage inflicted by the aggressor on the nation or community of nations must be lasting, lasting, grave, and certain. So in this case with Hamas, the, the, um, they are the aggressor, and, the effects, of, and the, uh, the effects must be lasting, grave, and certain, which I think, given what we've seen in the photos, the videos we've seen, that is true. Next, all other means of putting an end to it must be shown to be impractical or ineffective. So think, for example, of peace treaties, negotiations, trade deals, sanctions, what have you, right? Deterrence, those must have either been not working or just logistically impossible. Three, there must be a serious prospect of success. And four, and this is the big one, the use of arms must not produce evils and disorders greater than the evil to be eliminated. In other words, to put it really simply, the ends don't justify the means. So I think the best example of this, I hate to say it, is the nuclear bombs we dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki during World War II. That did not fulfill this requirement by any stretch. Those were what we call weapons of mass destruction. Those were, those were evils. The dropping of the nuclear bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki produced evils that were greater than the evil of fascism, fascism to be eliminated. And furthermore, we did it, we dropped the bombs on innocent civilians. So that's, the, that's what you don't do, right? I use that as an example of what not to do. But uh, so in other words, the, the force that you apply to, your, to the aggressor, the amount of pain you have lent in the aggressor must be proportional. 
Now, His Excellency Robert Barron, and all of this is, by the way, in this week's edition, if you click on it in the show notes, this week's edition, um, he paid a visit to the U.S. Naval Academy a number of years ago, uh, and he spoke at length about just war. And I, I included him, his video in this, and I invite each of you to, to, to watch and listen very carefully to what he says, because he articulates it beautifully. But now we transition to another question, a question that is perhaps much deeper and a question that is substantially by centuries older than just war and certainly older than, it goes without saying, the war that we're experiencing now in the Holy Land. And that's the question of the Jews. What about the Jews? From a, In other words, from a salvation perspective, what will happen to the Jewish souls that perish? In other words, the doctrine there is a doctrine of the church, a confirmed doctrine of the church called extra ecclesia nulla salmus, which is a fancy way of saying outside the church there is no salvation. Perhaps you've heard of this quote all the time, outside the church there's no salvation. Um, we see this in the um, Athanasian Creed. Uh, but how does that apply here? Well, to answer this question, the answer is much more nuanced, right? It's not as black and white as it sounds. The answer is much more nuanced. And I want to begin by quoting verbatim the Catechism of the Catholic Church uh, when it comes to extra ecclesia nulla salus, outside the church there's no salvation. This is uh, CCC paragraph 8486 through paragraph 848 and paragraph 868. It's a little lengthy, but here's what it says verbatim. Quote, How are we to understand this affirmation? Outside the church there is no salvation often repeated by the church fathers. Reformulated positively, it means that all salvation comes from Christ the head through the church which is his body. Basing itself on scripture and tradition, the council teaches that the church, a pilgrim now on earth, is necessary for salvation. The one Christ is the mediator and the way of salvation. He is present to us in his body, which is the church. He himself explicitly assert, asserted the necessity of faith and baptism and thereby affirmed at the same time the necessity of the church which men enter through baptism as through a door. Hence, they could not be saved who, knowing that the Catholic Church was founded as necessary by God through Christ, would, would, would refuse either to enter it or remain in it. This affirmation is not aimed at those who, through no fault of their own, do not know Christ and his church. Those who, through no fault of their own, do not know the gospel of Christ or his church, but who nevertheless seek God with a sincere heart and, moved by his grace, try in their actions to do his will as they know it through the dictates of their conscience. Those two may achieve eternal salvation. Although in ways known to himself, God can lead those who, through no fault of their own, are ignorant of the gospel, to that faith without which it is impossible to please him. The church still has the obligation and also the sacred right to evangelize all men. The church is Catholic. She proclaims the fullness of the faith. She bears in herself and administers the totality of the means of salvation. She is sent out to all peoples. She speaks to all men. She encompasses all times. She is mis missionary of her very nature, unquote. And that is, again, verbatim, the Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraph 846 through paragraph 848 and paragraph 868. Now this... These sentiments, this nuance, is summarized and echoed by the compendium of the Catechism. And the compendium says this, this is question 171, quote, What is the meaning of the affirmation? 
outside the church there is no salvation. This means that all salvation comes from Christ, the head, through the church which is his body. Hence, they cannot be saved who, knowing the church as founded by Christ and necessary for salvation, would refuse to enter her or remain in her. At the same time, thanks to Christ and to his church, those who, through no fault of their own, do not know the gospel of Christ and his church, but sincerely seek God and, moved by grace, try to do his will as it is known through the dictates of, of conscience, can attain eternal salvation. Unquote. And that is again the compendium of the Catechism of the Catholic Church, question 171. To consider it another way, um, um, I have, again, this is in this week's edition, I invite you to listen to that. There's a conversation uh, between His Excellency Robert Barron, who we mentioned earlier, and an Orthodox Jew in Ben Shapiro. And they talk a lot about the, 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 the Catholic view of salvation. I, again, I've included that in this week's edition, and I invite you to, to listen to it very carefully. He articulates it beautifully. Speaking of beautiful articulations, uh, the hope that we have that not all hope is lost when it comes to the salvation of the Jews in this war comes actually from St. Augustine of Hippo. Augustine of Hippo, again, whom we once again mentioned earlier, said, uh, says this, quote, We do not know what happens between the bridge and the water, unquote. And that is, again, St. Augustine. Now, granted, when Augustine's talking here, he's referring to people who commit suicide. And, of course, there's a huge difference. It goes without saying there's a huge difference between jumping off a bridge and jumping into a war. But the principle at heart that, that Augustine articulates is the same. Yes, even the most desperate of situations like suicide or war or what have you, it is only the divine majesty who fully understands the secrets of the heart and the motivations of the will. This is a solace, especially when it comes to the salvation of the Jews in this war. Um, the divine majesty himself gives us this solace that not all hope is lost. We see, we read in Luke, quote, Et facta est dum oraret, species vultus eius altera, et vestius eius albus et refugens, et ece duo vili loquebantur cum illo, erant, erant autem Moises et Elias, Elias, visi in majestate, et dicebant excesum eius quid completurus erat in Jerusalem. In English, and whilst Jesus prayed, the shape of his countenance was altered, and his raiment became white and glittering. And behold, two men were talking with him, and they were Moses and Elias, appearing in majesty. And they spoke of his decease that he should accomplish in Jerusalem." Unquote. And that is again the gospel according to St. Luke chapter 9, verse 29 through verse 31. So what is happening here? We see in, as, as Mark articulates, appearing in majesty with our Lord in what could be described as the beatific vision or the beatific vision that is to come, we see Moses and Elijah, Elias. Now remember, these were not any ordinary Jews, Moses and Elijah. They were not any ordinary Jews. They were not average Joe, average Jane. These two men were the single most influential Jews in the entire Old Testament and arguably the two most important Jews in the history of the world next to Jesus Christ. Why? Because Moses was a living symbol of the law and, of course, Elijah the living symbol of the prophets. And what we see here in the Transfiguration, we see these two men, law and prophecy epitomized um, 
epitomize these two great Jews conversing with our Lord and appearing in majesty, a majesty that presumably could only come through the beatific vision. So let us pray for them and pray especially for the intercession of St. Edith Stein as well. Pray to, uh, to all of them uh, that this war may end. Uh, for those of you who do not know, St. Edith Stein was a Jew. Uh, she's also a saint of the Catholic Church. She was born Jewish, raised Jewish, um, ethnically Jewish. She eventually left the Jewish faith, converted to Catholicism, and became a, a Carmelite nun. Uh, but she was found out by the Nazis during the Second World War, and she was martyred. Uh, she died in Auschwitz. So she is very unique among saints in the church today in that she died for both being a Christian and for being a Jew, uh, which is not something you see every day. So let us pray, of course, uh, to her for her intercession and to, of course, saints Moses and Elias for their intercession as well in ending this war and that the um, that these horrible terrorists, these Hamas terrorists, may, like St. Mary Magdalene, see the error of their ways and convert. Like No different than, again, and like St. Paul, like Blessed Bartolo Longo, may see the error of their ways, see the gravity of their sin, and repent. And if they refuse, that this evil may be eradicated once and for all. So let us, of course, pray for them. So St. Moses and Elias, pray for us. St. Edith Stein, pray for us. Amen. So that, uh, of course, again, concludes this week's edition. I want to thank all of you for joining us this week. Um, a few announcements before we close. Uh, first and foremost, um, again, at the uh, again, it goes without saying, pray for Israel. Uh, pray that they uh, that this war may end and end swiftly. That is the first piece. Uh, next, uh, if you want to join us, uh, if, if you're interested in learning more about Ignatianism and the writings of St. Ignatius of Loyola, I invite you to visit everydayignatian.com. That is the website uh, that this is linked to. Excuse me. And there you'll find a whole slew of information at your fingertips. And we publish every week on Friday. So if you want to learn more and dive into the writings of Ignatius, we have a whole slew of resources that, um, available, including the spiritual exercises in full, free of charge. Um, all that is available on everydayignatian.com. That's the second piece. Last but certainly not least, uh, we publish every week on Fridays. So if you want to dive deeper into Ignatianism and join us next week, I do invite you to do so. Uh, coming up, we are going to be diving into the Ignatian principle of detachment. We see, read this in the exercises um, in what's known as the first principle. Uh, so we're going to be diving into detachment. We're going to talk about what detachment is, what it is not, and how we can implement that in our own lives and uh, in our own lives. And um, ultimately, uh, um, I, it, it's an invitation to be detached from the things of this world, right? Like Aquinas talks that there are four great attachments of the world. Uh, you can be attached to wealth, pleasure, power, and honor. But as Ignatians, we remember, uh, we see everything as a means to an end. Um, so yes, even our own lives, uh, we are to be detached from those. Um, so uh, to uh, bring as many souls to heaven as possible, save as many souls as possible, and ultimately for the greater glory of the divine majesty. But all of that is going to be coming up next week um, on Friday. Um, that is again going to be on the Ignatian principle of detachment as found in the first principle. Uh, the first principle. So thank you once again for joining us. Please pray for me and I will pray for you. And let us again pray for Israel and pray for a swift end to this war. And have a blessed Friday. God bless you all. Thank you again for joining us for this edition of Everyday Ignatian. We always close each episode 
by reciting a prayer called the Sushipe. It was written by St. Ignatius of Loyola himself five centuries ago. If you are not familiar with the Sushipe, that is okay, because I have included the link in the show notes. If you have not done so already, I invite you to go into the show notes and open up the link so that we can pray together. Thank you again for joining us, and remember, quodcunque dixerit vobis facite. Do whatever he tells you. In nomine Patris, et Filii, et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Sushipe Domine, Universa meam libertatem, Accipe memoriam, Intellectum atque voluntatem omnem, Quid quid abio vil possidio mihi largitus es, Id tibi totum restituo, Ac tuae prosus voluntate tuo trado governandum, Amorem tui solum cum gratia tua mihi dones, Et dive sum satis, Nec aliud quid quam ultra posco, Amen. Cor Iesu, miserere nobis, Omne sancti angelii, orate pro nobis, Societas Iesu, orate pro nobis, Iesu, mitis et humilis corde, Fac cor nostrum secundum cor tuum, Amen. In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti, Amen.